Welcome to the ACT 29 Southern African podcast, a podcast born out of a vision seeking to see healthy, reflective, and reconciling churches go on to multiply through church planting. My name is John Otarup, and I have the privilege of hosting this platform. Our guest today is Stephen Murray. Stephen planted and now pastors Hope City Presbyterian Church in Cape Town, South Africa. He's married to Robin and have a daughter and son. Stephen enjoys apologetics, surfing in Cape Town's cold seas, and a good braai or barbecue with friends. Stephen, welcome to the Acts 29 Southern African Podcast. It's really good to have you on, brother. Thanks, Jono. It's good to be on the podcast with you. So tell me something. Um, what are some of your top braai or, or barbecue tips um, that you could maybe give and bless our listeners with? So I'm glad you got the distinction there between braai and barbecue. Uh, they're not the same thing, uh, contrary oh. to what some people in some countries think. Really? Okay. Uh, this year, here in South Africa, we braai, obviously. Uh, what I do is I also, alongside the braaiing, do American-style barbecue. So I like to smoke big pieces of meat for long periods of time, up to eight hours. Sure. I've, I've done a 12-hour one, actually, in one, on one occasion. Oh, wow. Um, uh, watch a lot of sport while I'm doing that. Uh, and that's how I like to spend my Saturday afternoons. Fantastic. I think the, the tip would be that you need to, if you want to barbecue, you need to learn how to read temperatures in Fahrenheit <laughs> because all the recipes come from America. Right. And, and if you don't understand the temperature thing, you're going to completely mess it up. You got to contextualize, right? Yeah. <laughs> Tell me, um, do you have a smoker? You said you smoked something for 12 or eight hours. Do you have a smoker then? Yeah, I, I've got just kind of a, a braai grill that I close with the temperature gauge on and try and seal it up and make sure that it can hold the heat for long periods of time. I love it. A a, a so, kind of makeshift smoker, a church makeshift planter, smoker, yeah. make, made plan. Fantastic. Yep. You said that you kind of have the sport on the background. So um, what kind of sport or which teams uh, are on so we can pray for you, I'm sure? Yeah. So so for my sins, I am a long-suffering Arsenal supporter for many, oh. many, many years. I've seen them at the high heights and I've seen them where they are right now, which is down in the doldrums of 14th place in the Premier sure, League. Sure, sure. Uh, so you can pray for me. <laughs> Condolences, brother. Yeah, we'll we'll keep uplifting. Yeah. You okay? So sporting is also part of the Murray household. Tell me, um, or sport, shall I say, is part of the Murray household. Uh, you you mentioned that you like surfing in Cape Town's cold seas. Uh, what's that about? How cold does it get? Yeah, it's pretty cold down here. Uh, you need to have some really good wetsuit material. Uh, okay. The wetsuits are pretty good nowadays, but it can get down on on the Atlantic side at some of the beaches in the middle of summer. Ironically warmer in winter but in 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 summer it gets down to eight degrees which is is painful uh your exposed parts that are not under the wetsuit start to pain in that water so it's it's not that comfortable now now you mentioned um what that celsius so could you do the conversion to fahrenheit no i have no idea okay but it's cold i have no idea (laughs) it's cold smoking meat i know but other things no idea it's cold um Okay, so those are the, some of the fun things. You you also mentioned that you're passionate about apologetics. Maybe you could share. How did that come about? Um, yeah. Yeah, so that came about more by necessity um, based on the nature of where we've planted our church. Uh, yeah. We are in a part of the African continent that is arguably the most post-Christian little corner of the continent. Sure. Um, we have large numbers of young people who have massively deconstructed their faith. Um and everyone's got some sort of Christian background in this country, but these people have deliberately and consciously walked away from the faith. And then they've got fairly um, 
large objections to the Christian faith sure. and sophisticated objections. Okay. And so to even get a hearing for the gospel, you you have to almost naturally engage in apologetics because people are going to ask you anyway right. as soon as you speak about Jesus. And so we've had to by necessity do that, sure. learn and grow there. Uh, and, and would you kind of bring that into your sermons? I mean, do you guys have like, a, like a, maybe a preaching series or do you have like run courses um, to reach folks in your context in that yeah, way? So, yeah, so we, we do run series, um, specifically okay. targeted series that we promote and try and get people there and doing a lot of Q&A with people. Uh, I think people appreciate having a pastor who they can ask absolutely anything to. So right. I'm like, you can't offend me. You can say whatever you want about the Christian faith. Uh, ask whatever is on your mind. But then I think even in our Sunday preaching, we make sure there's always kind of an apologetic sidebar there to everything that we do. We, we, we grill our own preachers who sure. preach regularly for Hope City on that and making sure that's a feature and a part of, of how they're, they're preaching to the congregation. Mm, uh, we, so we expect those people to be present on Sundays right. and then so we preach to them. Right. Do you, I mean, you, so you guys have seen the fruit of that then? We have, yeah. We've, we've seen several people come from quite um, – Agnostic backgrounds okay. uh, come to faith. Uh, it's slow. It's long term. Right. It's right. hours of sitting in coffee shops sometimes, dealing with objections to the Christian faith. Uh, we've seen people come to faith over like a two to three year period sometimes, wow. wrestling with their faith around these things. Um, the best thing is to get them into the community so we can have the conversation. Right. Right. Once they see that they can ask those questions and have the conversation, that's that's a big win. Sure. And, and then it's then to have the patience to work through the different details. Sure. No, that's a, such good stuff. Thanks for sharing with that with us, brother. Tell me, um, you you joined, it's actually, you, you were one of the first folks within the Southern African region to join Acts 29 as an existing church. So along the existing church track, many, many members have joined uh, by planting churches, but you actually joined as an existing church. So Hope City was was fairly established at that time. Um, how, how would you say that Acts 29 has helped you um, become a healthier church? Sure, that's a great question. Uh, I think, look, every church planter goes out and they want to create a balanced ministry where they're kind of hitting 10 points in all the different areas, whether it's Sunday worship or mercy ministry or evangelism or community building. Right. None of us get it right. (laughs) We might be like a a seven on preaching and a five on mercy ministry and a two on faith and work and things like that. Right. Um, And so by coming in as an existing church, and then submitting ourselves to the assessment process, it was like having a whole set of new eyes sure. on my congregation. Sure. And people going, oh, well, Stephen, you guys are doing a really good job in this one area, but this other area you, you haven't thought about. It. And these are not areas where these, – these are areas of the church where, like, convictionally, yes, we want to do this, but we just haven't got around to doing it. Right, right. And, and, and the assessment forced us to look into those areas and to do it. Sure. And to figure out how we're going to incorporate into our ministry. And so that was incredibly helpful. So we are definitely more well-rounded and more balanced having gone through that assessment process than we were prior to that. Sure. Uh, we still have blind spots, and we, so we need the ongoing camaraderie and friendship right. for that. But, right. uh, but, but it was a big move, I think, and a big help. Man, that's so good. That's so good. Um, maybe you could share a little bit about kind of Hope City Church, maybe a little bit of the, the origin story, um, where, you know, where are you guys now, your context, maybe some of your demographics, et cetera, if you could let us get, paint a picture of it for us of Hope City sure. Church. Yeah. So my wife and I have lived in the city center of Cape Town for about 11 years now, maybe we might be going to 12 years. Um, in, in, in the, this, the, the, the city bowl and the surrounding neighborhoods, the immediate neighborhoods of the city center. And, right. um, we kept bumping into people early on who would say to us, 
we don't have a church we can take our non-Christian friends to. Mm. Uh, there were a few churches in the city bowl, but um, they weren't particularly engaging apologetic questions. Right. Uh, they weren't respecting the presence of unbelievers in their services and things like that. And, and that kept kind of gnawing at us at the back of our minds saying, we we want to we want to be involved. So we'd, we'd helped a couple of church plants in the past um, in the area. Right. Uh, we had a passion for church planting, uh, but I was actually working for a church out in the suburbs, uh, okay. in the deep suburbs. And and at some point, my pastor said to me, "Why don't you start a Bible study in the city centre mm. while you live there, and see what happens?" And so that's what we did, and that's where Hope City came to life from. Wow! Uh, by God's grace, um, like yeah. I said, it is very secular. It's yeah. very young. A lot of young professionals. These are people out of university in their first job okay um it has a high turnover of people so it's almost like being at a in a university ministry where you've got people right. for three to four years and then they move on they move back to the suburbs right uh, people have kids often they move out of the city center so we've got that community the, the young urban community we've also got an older established incredibly wealthy community right that lives kind of in the the upper reaches of the city bowl area uh, I, I often joke with my friends that I think that community is one of the biggest, well, not biggest, but one of the most significant unreached people groups in our country. Sure. Wow. They don't go to church. They're incredibly wealthy, incredibly self-sufficient and self-reliant uh, right. and don't see any need for God at all. Um, and, and it's a really hard community to crack uh, for the gospel. Sure. Uh, so that's that's the general layout. We have a large homeless population as well as you can imagine being in a city center. Right. Um, growing, growing communities more on the periphery, but growing communities of um, foreign Africans as well. Okay. Um, so it's a mix. It's a complete mix. Sure. Well, praise God. Thank you know we, we're thankful that you guys are in there and and ministering in this context at this time. Um, Stephen, maybe you could share. So, so how would would you say that your your church is um, kind of reflective of of the the whole context at the moment? So the, the the context changes, it shifts, as right. you'll know in any neighborhood. Um, right. there, are, there are a couple of significant sub-communities in, in the broader City Bowl area. For example, we're right next to the Burkhap, which is an exclusively Muslim community okay. and has been for 300 years. Sure. Um, and and it's incredibly hard to crack there. I've known career missionaries who've worked in the Burkhap for 20, 30 years and not seen a single convert to wow. the, the Christian faith. Wow. Um, so it's, there are sub-communities like that that we don't necessarily reflect. reflect. Right. Um, we don't have any converted Muslims in our, in our congregation. Um, in terms of the young professional class, we, were, we, we reflect them pretty accurately. And we've started to break into that, that upper tier class a little bit. We've got a couple of families who are staying long-term in the city right. um, who are coming in. Um, we were a largely white congregation. Uh, the city bowl is probably majority white. Right. I would have to recheck the stats. It was when we came in. Right. It's probably still there. Um, when we do reach kind of black and colored family uh, folk, it's, it's generally young professionals who've moved into the city. Right, right. Um, and, and, and so we've got a few of those folk in, in our church. Um, we are reaching out into our more eastern suburbs, which is a predominantly colored community. Right. Uh, but we're doing that through church planting, which I might say more about later. But um, we haven't been able to, as a church, crack that community that well right. either um, at this point. Uh, let me let me ask you. So you know, th- this podcast is is seeking to help churches be healthier, you know, um, and to 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 be reflective, reconciling churches. I guess let me ask you. So as a as a you know white pastor leading a predominantly white congregation, um, what role do do churches um, like yourselves have have in South Africa to play within the the reconciling? Um, um, kind of discussion, I guess, or, or role within reconciliation. 
Yeah, I, I think we, we, we have a place to play. I don't think we're supposed to just disappear. I think we need to be sensitive to that position. I think particularly in even the evangelical church, and I, and I would say maybe in the 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 more reformed end of the evangelical church, right. we've wielded a lot of power in predominantly white churches. Right. And so we need to be incredibly sensitive about that. The power has flowed downstream from those churches. And, and so we need to be careful about hogging that power, right. holding on to it and not releasing our black and colored leaders here in, in the Cape. We've got a huge, I mean, our biggest population group of the Cape colored community. I know you might have listeners who listen in from the U S who don't understand that concept, but yeah, there are right. apartheid racial classifications that we have um, that, that define who we are. And uh, as people in many ways, uh, the history defines us. Uh, those groups have not historically had power in these sorts of um, circles, evangelical circles. And right. so, if we're going to be a predominantly white church and we end up by God's grace, whatever his, his provision being this, this predominantly white church with a predominantly white neighborhood, we then got to be very careful about how we think about power. I think, I right. think that's the big, the big thing. Uh, it's, it's one thing we, we, you, you could do window dressing and you can try and diversify your church a bit. And I think we should be working towards that kind of new creation vision of, of every tongue tribe, right. Uh, worshiping together before the throne, but that window dressing needs to not be, devoid of actual power sharing sure, sure. Uh, you've got a couple of people of color in your church but really the white guys hold the reins and they control the funding i think that's a problem and sure. it's happened in our country for decades and and it's time that some of us white ministers particularly take ownership for that and, and say we need to step back here a little bit we need to let our our, our brothers of color lead um, it's one of the reasons we were very attracted to X29 because we felt that was happening in the Southern African X29 region here. Right. And we were encouraged by that. We were suspicious about just willy nilly joining organizations right. for that very reason. But, 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 um, we were confident the leaders, um, that are being, um, developed here in the Southern African region shared that vision and then mm. we were working towards that goal. So good. Um, how do you brother? So, I mean, you, you said, you know, you need to be intentional about kind of, um, you know, um, uh, breaking down, um, I guess, power strongholds and and, and 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 raising up leaders. How do you, as 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 a, a white pastor in Cape Town, um, in Hope City, how do you how do you intentionally uh, go about doing that? So I think it it starts at a very simple level, and that is treat people of color with the same dignity you treat white people with. Right. And then, uh, I mean, as as a white South African, you grew up with all sorts of little racial biases and, and, and things that are going on there. And you have to check yourself all the time on that. Um, right. right. A, a, a white wealthy family from upper city bowl comes in, you know, that they're, they're going to be big givers. They're going to be actively engaged in the church and they can really move this church forward in, in terms of what they bring as opposed to a young African guy who comes in straight out of, um, university right. uh, he's had to he's supporting his whole family uh he doesn't have much in the way of spare cash to give to the church to right. help ministry he's got to work flat out at his first job just to get into the market and and so you might be tempted to give more energy and attention to the white couple sure. uh, than to this individual and and that you've got to check yourself on all those sorts of small little things and that's where it starts i think first of all so good. Um, and, and then I think uh, over and above that then in terms of the bigger ministry decisions, um, the leadership position choices, um, making sure that when, when we employ and or, or, or place 
even lay leaders of color in um, that they're they're real leaders. Right. They're not there to make up the numbers. They're real leaders, um, and, and that's important for us to do that. So, so those those are the sorts of the things I think you need to do. That's good. And intentionally, I guess, intentionally invest in in folks and also um, back and support them. Um, yeah. Would you agree? Yeah. Uh, completely. So, I mean, even as we're thinking about our church planting going forward, we've been thinking about different funding models. Uh, certain communities are just going to require more funding, more support to get good church planting work going right. than other communities. And and so we have to be quite intentional about how we do that and think about that. Mm, so good. So good. Um, so you, you are actually close to... Um being a church planting church, right? Uh, you, you, you're, you're months away from uh, sending out planters or a planter and uh, from planting a church. Tell us a bit about that story. Tell us a little bit about those details. Yeah, so we're very excited about this. Um, we have my colleague, Wesley Marshall. He's come to us over the last three, just over three years. Uh, he's been interning with us for the last two years. Uh, Wesley's a guy who grew up on the Cape Flats here in Cape Town uh, in the colored community. Uh, has a real heart for that community. We have this big, the Eastern city neighborhoods that right. are um, historic, predominantly historically colored, or there's a lot of gentrification happening at the moment. So it's a, it's quite a tumultuous area in many ways right. with, the, with the, the biggest stories that are going on in our country between social discussions about social housing and who has access to living in neighborhoods with close proximity to the city center and the economy. Um, but Wesley is is a wonderful guy. Him and his wife Nicole are going to be going. Are, are, are have moved into the area already, and they are looking to build community there, and to grow a church. And and uh, we're just thankful to God for sending us such a, a gifted guy, such a godly mm. guy. Uh, he has great character, and 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 yeah, the the, the stars have aligned yeah. <laughs> by God's providence, and and now um, we, we we were able to proceed in this church plant, and and so we were very excited. Um, we think it's going to. Yeah, help us to get into communities we've struggled to get into the past. Right. Um, but I think Wesley's even. I think Wesley has broader reach than that himself, even. And so we're excited to see where that's going to go. Sure, super exciting. We we actually got to spend some time um, with the Murray family and uh, with the Marshall family a couple of months ago. I think is it two months ago now. Um, uh, for the assessment conference and uh, yeah it was an amazing time and and yeah we, we got to spend with you guys and um wesley is we can we can show he's a, he's a candidate member of x29 um and so maybe we may also get him on the on the podcast sometime so he can share a bit about about that vision for that church plant but yeah super exciting um and it's great to see a church come into x29 and then go uh, become a church planting church and send out uh, send out others. So that's super exciting. Uh, Stephen, I'd love to ask you, what is your hope for, I guess, the Western Cape region, maybe the city of Cape Town? Um, let me ask you that first, and then I'll kind of uh, broaden it a little bit as well. What, what would you say now, sitting here 2020 after everything that's gone on this year, um, all, the, all the trials and tribulations, what is your hope for, for the region of Cape Town? Yeah, it's a good question. So there's, there's obviously a lot of uncertainty right now right. in the in the very immediate future, and I think we all are just sitting waiting to see what's going to happen exactly um, in terms of second waves and surges and things like that. I think just beyond that, though, my hope is, is pretty much the same it's been for the last 10, 15 years, and that is we need deliberate, consistent, large-scale church planting. Right. Um, across all the neighborhoods. We, we, we're a city of more than 4 million people in this metro. Sure. Uh, and there, there are so many different types of neighborhoods that need churches. Uh, there are a lot of churches out there, but there's a lot of ill health in the churches that are out there. There are some really great examples in our city. We thank God for some really good evangelical churches here. 
Um, but there are so many communities that are underserved um, or the churches are weak. And so we need to plant, we need to revitalize. Right. Um, but it's got to be very deliberate and it's got to go everywhere. Uh, sure. We've tended to plant uh, people that kind of in my tribe have tended to plant in the suburbs here in Cape Town, the wealthier right. suburbs, not as much in, in the Cape Flats or the townships. Uh, we've got to, we've got to reverse that trend. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think but it, without that deliberate, that intentional side, I don't think it's going to happen. I think if we plant only organically, uh, like go naturally into the next suburb next to right. you or naturally where you attract as a church body, you attract leaders from right. that's going to cause problems. Yeah, you've got to look and go, well, there's no church here. And we don't actually have a church planter for that area, but we're going to go plant a church there anyway right? because we need to have a church there. Sure. Um, I think that sort of thinking needs to come to the fore. That's so good. Tell me also, as you think Southern Africa, so as you think of the region of Southern Africa, and I guess even beyond into Africa, what would you say is your hope for the for the region uh, going forward? In in many ways, my hope is fairly similar to what it is for the the, right. the city of Cape Town, the metro of Cape Town. Uh, I am grateful for for collaboration, and so things like Acts Twenty Nine, Southern Africa, that that collaboration is key. Because uh, I mean, I was just up in Durban recently, met a guy in Peter Maritzburg who shared similar theological convictions to me. And he'd never met anybody right. in the flesh who had the same theological convictions as me. Wow. Wow. Um, and just that meeting opened his eyes and thought, Oh, there's possibility for stuff to be done here. And so the more we can collaborate, there are probably a lot more of us out there right. who want to do church planting, who want to um, reach cities with the gospel, reach neighborhoods and communities with the gospel. And, and so being able to connect each other uh, is really great. And with the internet and that we, we've got a, a way into lots of different communities, um, accessed via mobile phones, and that is is all over the place, right. even in rural areas. And so I'm very excited to see where that's going to go. Uh, I think a lot, a lot of work can be done there. Sure, that is really, really good. Tell me, um, if, 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 if I had to ask you, Stephen Murray, as you reflect back on 2020, um, Pastor, as you reflect back uh, and as you've, you know, you've, you've, you've lived through the COVID-19 situation, um, you, we, we've, you know, we've just, we've experienced so much this year. What is something, uh, I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit, but I guess what is something that you'd want to say to, to, to listeners as you have this moment, uh, what is something that, that maybe you share your pastor's heart for, for the church in Southern Africa? Um, and something that I guess that you'd want to say, maybe, maybe it's a, it's a comfort, maybe it's an encouragement, maybe it's also to, 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 uh, make us a little uncomfortable. What, what is something that's been on your yeah. heart and been pressing you this year that you'd want to share? So I, I do have something to make us a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, and, and that is I, my, my biggest take home for myself personally out of this COVID thing, and there'd be lots of take homes. Right. And I think there's lots of encouraging things happening. But my biggest take home is I have felt that we, even in our kind of good Bible teaching churches, have had our shallow discipleship exposed sure. during sure. lockdown. I have just encountered so many Christians, not in our own church, in our own church and in other churches, who have not processed this experience theologically. Sure. Uh, they have, they've not processed the anxiety theologically. They've not processed their mortality theologically. They've not processed the nature of the church and, and what it means to be part of a functioning church and, and a kind of New Testament ecclesiology right. theologically. Right. Um, all these things that we kind of took for granted that, yeah, people know this stuff and they're, they're going to, they're going to do this stuff when, 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 when the crunch comes and, and, and the crunch has come now and many wow. people haven't. 
Wow. Many people have fallen out of church attendance, not necessarily because of fears around COVID, but just because they've fallen out of it. Right. And just because they don't have a rich theology of the church. And many people, when faced with anxiety and the fear of dying and mortality, haven't turned to the promises of scripture about the life to come and, and eternal life in Jesus. They've turned to other things to to kind of medicate that anxiety. And and so I, I'm seeing that everywhere. And it's really made me stop and go. I think we need to go back and rethink our discipleship and the depth of our discipleship and how we're doing it in our churches. Man, that, is that so would good. be my one kind of unsettling thing. Yeah, it's it's optimistic because I think there's work to be done and we can do it. We've yeah. got the Bible, Amen. we've got we've got God's Word, we've got His Spirit working in us, and and so it can be done. But I think we need to be honest about it. So good, so good. Were you going to say a second thing there? I didn't know if I interrupted you. No, I think I think that's that's kind of my big thing uh, from 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 the lockdown. What are you What are you thinking, though? Is, I mean, as you said, we're rethinking it. So, what are you? You know, what are you, Pastor, at, at, at Hope City Church? What are you thinking, about, you know, practically for your church uh, in twenty twenty one? So, I, I do think we need to increase word ministry. I, I think the Apostle Paul, Ephesians four, God gives us gifts in the gospel. Yeah, Those yeah. gifts are word ministers first, and the word ministers then equip the saints to do the works of ministry. Yeah, and 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 I. I feel particularly as as senior pastors, as as kind of theologically trained senior pastors, we tend to often outsource a lot of our word ministry a lot. Wow, and and it's good on. to get a lot of people involved, but we need to be teaching. And that's yeah. not just on a Sunday. We need to be sitting in people's homes and teaching them with scripture. Sure. Uh, we do these coffee catch-up and pastoral meetings, but the scripture never comes out. Sure. We never disciple people in those moments. Uh, I think we need to dive deeper into word ministry, pervasive word ministry, and then word ministry that connects the dots between the people's experiences and what's actually on the text, mm. in the text. Um, I, I don't think it's. I don't think there's a special key. I think this is just standard right. New Testament Christianity. It's just right. doing it better and doing more of it, yeah. um, if anything. And then praying, praying our socks off, yeah. praying that God's spirit is going to change and transform people. I love that. We had uh, Dr. Batanayi Manika on, I don't know if you listened to that episode a while back, and he also just said, you know, we, as church planters, we sometimes forget about, uh, church planters and pastors, we sometimes forget about praying. And so I love what you're saying now, you know, you're challenging, challenging us to to go back to the word and word ministry. It's amazing. Thank you so much for that. Um, Pastor, where can folks uh, follow you, connect with you, get in touch with you uh, if they would want to? Sure. So our um, website is hopecity.ca.za. You'll actually get both our church plants there. So um, the, our, both our, our new East City Congregation church plant with Wesley, you'll find him there and you'll find me there as well at our City Bowl Congregation, hopecity.ca.za. Um, if you want to email Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N is the proper way to spell Stephen, <laughs> at hopecity.ca.za. Uh, on Twitter, I think I, I was one of the early adopters of Twitter, so my Twitter handle is Stephen Murray, ah. S-T-E-P-H-E-N-M-U-R-R-A-Y. I got in there before you had to have like all sorts of numbers <laughs> and symbols in your name. Right. Uh, yeah, those, those are probably the best ways to connect with me. Uh, you can you can find me there. Fantastic. What we'll do is we'll put those in the show notes, and so if you want to connect with Stephen, we'll make sure that you can do so. Um, Stephen, thank you so much for doing this and uh, for sharing your heart with us. We truly believe that that God is going to use this for his ultimate glory. And so may you... It's an absolute pleasure, man. Yeah, and may you and your family and your church be blessed as you go out and seek to be a blessing. And then to our listeners, thank you for tracking with us. Thank you for your invaluable time and your humble willingness to engage with us today. Don't forget to rate and review us on whichever podcast platform you get your podcast from. 
You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. That's Axe 29 Southern Africa. Or you can check out our website, axe29.com forward slash network forward slash southern hyphen Africa. Until next time, take care.